Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Today we are entering into a message called Five Steps to Radical Gratitude. That little clip I showed from the video there helps us to think about why we do indeed see things like evil and distress and all things that depress and distort our experience of the world. Sin entered into the garden through Adam and Eve, and we are still dealing with the effects of it today, aren't we? Ultimately, God could have snapped his Big Bang causing fingers and said, we're going to wipe out sin. But God still desires a relationship with us, even in our problems, our faults, and yes, even in our imperfections. And so God designed a plan through his Son and our Savior Jesus to put an end to the threat and the separation caused by sin so that through Jesus and through the blood he shed on the cross, we can be made whole, even in the midst of our still sin-riddled life. Isn't that one of the great misconceptions about Christianity that the world sees? Is they see sin in the world, they see sin in their lives, and they think, oh, well, this whole Christian thing is just hogwash and balderdash. But in reality, those who live into it and cling to life through it and because of it know that we don't embrace the world because we're perfect, but because we know we are imperfect and a perfect God loves us anyway and covers us with his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and he calls us and beckons us to be better, to move forward in his love and in his hope by faith in him. So we don't come to Christ because we're perfect, because we know we are imperfect and we can come to a perfect God and know that in his love and his grace and his mercy, he saves us, he redeems us, and he restores us for life in the world, even as imperfect and sin-riddled and ridden as we may be. And that's one of the reasons in this season of Thanksgiving, we can really truly be grateful, radically so. Because God doesn't expect you to be perfect in order for him to use you. In fact, you can look through the scripture and find that there is only one perfect person who lived that God used. What was that person's name? It rhymes with Jesus. That's exactly right. Not a trick question. It's Jesus. And then so throughout all the other characters and figures that we see in the scripture, God used prostitutes and murderers and thieves and all kinds of people to promote the gospel of good news and hope and salvation. Why is that? Because if we were to see a book filled with perfect people, we would look at it and think, there's no place for me. But God says, so Mark, you have problems with X, Y, or Z. You can go find X, Y, and Z in the Bible. You can find people who had addictions, like Noah. You can find people who 
made their living with their flesh, like Rahab. You can find people who even denied knowing Jesus, calling down curses from heaven to emphatically say so, like Peter. There are people in the scripture that God used just like he wants to use you and me today to help change the world. God only used one perfect person, and that was his son and our Savior Jesus. The rest of us, well, we're dirty, rotten fools. We're dirty, rotten scoundrels. And when we think that because of our past, or maybe even what we're living in today, that God can't, won't, or will not use us, he says, ah, take a look. Take a look at someone like Paul. Participating in a murder. Take a look at Peter. Denying Jesus. Take a look at any mess of people. And you'll see how people have made a mess of life. But God uses us still. I hope that you can find some radical gratitude about that. Radical gratitude. So what is radical gratitude? I'm glad you asked. Let me just poll our, what, six, seven thousand people we have here this morning. We'll take time. I'm joking. You know, I know it's holiday weekend. What do you think of when you hear that term or that phrase, radical gratitude? What comes to mind? Anybody? Radical gratitude. What comes to mind? Drastic change. Okay. Let's go with it. What else? Thankfulness. Was that Nora? Yeah, thankfulness. What else? Against the norm. Now we're going to be getting somewhere. What else? Living with an attitude? Feeling an attitude. Love it. Got it. Hippies. <laughs> was that Jimmy? Okay, it was Jimmy. Thought I recognized the voice. Usually hear it from over here, but yeah, today I got it over there. What else? Anything else? Radical gratitude. What about the things for which your initial reaction is to not be grateful? What do you think? Well, that's why we're going to be talking about that list today. The first step, we're looking at five, and this would be a great time if you've not done so already to pull out your Hope Church Plus app. Also post them on our Facebook page as well as on, on the um, insert into your info guide. Is to thank God in all things. Now, notice it says to thank God in all things. It should be our next slide. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says these words. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, does that say to give thanks in good circumstances, happy circumstances, holiday circumstances, only good circumstances, abundance in wealth or food or whatever. No, it says to give thanks to God in all circumstances. And the reason we see all here is because there are plenty of circumstances, if not the majority of circumstances, by which we would be inclined not to give thanks. 
But if you look through the scripture, in the New Testament in particular, one of the recurring themes that we have to deal with and we wrestle with is that we are called to give thanks to God in all circumstances and that suffering is even part of our life and our living and our approach to living. And the scripture even tells us that we can give thanks to God for our trials, for our tragedies, for our suffering. And that doesn't line up with what I want to be or how I want to feel today. I don't want to give thanks for cancer diagnoses. I don't want to give thanks from having to turn away from something that's helped shape my identity for more than half my life. I don't want to give thanks for things that I don't like. But I'm called to give thanks for those things. To give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Why is that? It's because what we can know beyond the shadow of a doubt in faith through the scripture and the experience of living with God through it is that we'll see is that God is with us in the midst of the messes of our lives. We always tend to think, right? Even if we know better, we tend to feel that if we are going through something difficult, we're going through something rotten or crummy. I mean, no, I'm getting some really fancy words there, but if we're going through something really, really awful, that means that God must be against us. You see, that was the mindset of the people in the time when Jesus was having his earthly ministry, was that if things are going well for you, God was blessing you. If things are going bad for you, then God was cursing you. And Jesus came in and said, no, you're looking at this all wrong. The blessing is that God is with you in your good days and in your bad days. God is with you in your healthy days and in your sick days. God is with you in your wealthy days and in your poor days. God is with you. Period. And therefore, if God is with us, then we can give thanks to God in all circumstances. In our triumphs and in our tragedies alike. Last week I mentioned that psychologists have determined that we as human beings process fear and faith in the same part of the brain. It's known as the amygdala. It's kind of like an almond-shaped part of our brain. And one of the things that was discovered when people decided they were going to take a radical approach to gratitude, which means we are going to give thanks to God in all things, even in the rotten, dirty, crummy, messy parts of life, that we're going to give thanks to God in all things, is that it begins to change the way that our brains actually process the stimuli by which we faith, face and faith we live into. Blah, 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 blah. It's been a holiday week. <laughs> there was a study done of people who took a radically grateful approach to life, people of faith, and a control group of people who did not have faith and sort of rode those ups and the downs. Like God is blessing me if things are going well or cursing me if things are not. And they set them in front of a computer and wired up all these things on their brain and their body and then made them watch a series of images on a computer screen and tracked how it was that the fear response worked through their body. Now, as a social psychology major in college, I had to do a certain number of these types of things, and I can remember some of these tests and studies myself. 
But what was discovered was that people who had a radical approach to gratitude actually had fewer intense fear responses with the horrible, awful pictures and things that they saw than those who did not. In other words, people who in faith approached life with gratitude did not get as scared by the scary things in the world as people who did. Now, if you weren't born and raised in the South like me, scared means scared, right? You were not as frightened by the frightful things in the world. And it doesn't mean they weren't frightened at all, but it means that they were able to approach things with a certain perspective. And gratitude has that ability in us. It's to change the way that our amygdala actually receives stimuli that comes to our eyes or comes to our brain through our eyes. That's pretty astonishing, isn't it? That our gratitude, our faith helps us filter through some of the absolutely yucky, crummy, gross things that happen in the world and say, I can be thankful because God is with me in the midst of it. People who do not have faith will ask, well, where is God when atrocities happen in Israel or Gaza? He's there in the middle of it. We hold that faith to believe that God is with us in the middle of it. Where is God in the children's hospital with children who are fighting cancer or other life-threatening diseases? He's right there in the middle of it. And what God calls and what God asks of his faithful followers to do are to be his hands and feet, to go into those places, risk their lives, or maybe even just risk their comfort levels to help be his hands and feet and to shine that Jesus light and to prove that hope still exists. And in there, be an example and a witness of how we can give thanks to God in all things. Do we thank God for cancer? No. But we thank God for the people who have devoted their lives to trying to help provide treatments and therapies and hopefully one day a cure. And we thank God for the people who rally around those who are suffering and enduring it with things like a gift card, or a meal, or even what may seem like a random text that comes at just the right time to know, I do not face these things alone. We have a role and a responsibility to play in God's world when we know that people are going through all kinds of hellacious things to help try to bring the light and the hope of Jesus in the midst of it and know that there's something that we can learn but something that we can also do, regardless of where we are in the midst of it, to know that God is real and he loves us and has a plan and a purpose for our lives. So the first step in radical gratitude is to give thanks to God in all things. And if you are forcing yourself to try to find the lesson in it, there is a lesson to learn. And maybe it's this, the second step. Don't worry about anything. Whew. Now that is like the pot calling the kettle black, Right? I am a worrier by nature. I really am. I have been my entire life. I've worried about everything. And I've worried about anything. Don't worry about anything. Jesus said these words as recorded in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I get a hallelujah, right? 
I love that. I love that. Jesus' words there, uh, you'll see them on the screen. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I love this perspective of Jesus. In other words, what he's trying to tell us is that worrying about something that will happen tomorrow robs us of the joy of today. It doesn't just rob us of joy of today. It also robs us of energy of today. The energy that we may need, perhaps, to thank God in all circumstances for something that comes up, whereas we may have spent our energy and our focus on something that is, ha- is to happen later, something that is to happen tomorrow. I love studies. Cornell University did this study. 85% of what we worry about never happens. But the 15% that did happen, 79% of subjects discover they either were able to handle the difficulty better than expected, or the difficulty taught them an important lesson worth learning. Therefore, 97% of our worries are misplaced or overblown. I know that's a lot of numbers. I'm going to go through them one more time in case you're jotting these down. 85% of what we worry about never happens. And with the 15% that does happen, 79% of us discovered that we can handle the situation better than we thought, or the difficulty taught an important lesson. Therefore, 97% of our worries are misplaced or overblown. Think about the last time you were so wrapped up and wound up in worry. Was it ultimately worse than what you thought it was going to be? 97% of the time, the answer is generally no. Now, I can think of a handful of times when I've lived into that other 3%. I've shared some of them with you. not going to go through that again. I say that to say is that, yes, there are times we live in that 3%. But here's the good news, is that even when we are in that 3%, God is still there with you. God is still there with you. God is still there with you. Do that old preacher trick and turn to your neighbor and say, God is still there with you. I'm not kidding, do it. God is still there with you. Say it. God is still there with you. Thank you. God is still there with you. And so think about the things over which you're worrying right now. 85% of the times the things that we worry the most about don't happen. Of the 15%, 79% of us say that we were able to either cope better or learn something as a result of it. Now, one of the reasons that is, is that our brains have been gifted by God with these wonderful things called defense mechanisms. We begin to think and to project about how are we going to handle something when it comes. Conversations, uh, meetings, different events or accounts or whatever. So, God is helping us to prepare for what is to come. And therefore, oftentimes we overblow the concern that we have. And then he shows up and shows out in the middle of it. Or helps us to realize that there are lessons even in our deepest, darkest, scariest times that can help pull us 
through. And so, bless you, so wherever we are in this being pulled through, there is something that we must learn to do that helps to keep us connected to the God who is always there, and that is to pray about everything. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote to pray without ceasing, right? He's not always talking about keeping your eyes closed and your head bowed all the time because that would make for dangerous driving. Uh, But what he's talking about is to maintain an ongoing dialogue with the Lord, the Creator, the Savior, and the Sustainer of the world, to have an ongoing dialogue with God to remind us that He's always there. Pray about everything. But does this mean that we don't feel worry? Or that worry is essentially a sin? No. What it does tell us is that we can invite God in our concerns. That's the essence of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where the Apostle Paul wrote, Don't fret or worry. Instead of worry, pray. Now, pressing pause there really quickly. He's not saying exactly the same thing that Jesus is saying about do not worry. He's saying we recognize that worry is going to be part of our fallen nature. It's also part of our inability to see beyond the current present moment, right? So instead of worrying, what Paul wants us to do is to transfer that energy from worry or stewing without doing into prayer. Do something that can help you in the midst of your struggles. And then he goes on, he continues, let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Now, of course, God already knows the things that are concerning you. God's already there, right? We've talked about that. What God wants you to do by taking this scripture verse to heart is to remind yourself and mentally shift your focus from the things that frighten you to your faith. From the things that scare you to the sacred. Right? You recognize that scared and sacred are the same letters? What's different is where you put the C, as in Christ. To put Jesus at the center and the heart of everything we do. Instead of being scared... To see the sacred in the midst of it. And so we take the things that worry us, that bother us, that frighten us. And we flip them. And we give them to God. And we say, God, I worry that I, I don't have enough. But you are the God of more than enough. God, I worry about health. You are the great physician. I worry about my mental health. You are the wonderful counselor. I worry about war. You are the prince of peace. I worry about this, Lord. I find in you the answer and the solution to that which scares me. I want to take my feelings of being scared and find in you the sacred, the knowledge, the peace by putting Christ at the center. By putting Christ at the center. Praying about everything. In this passage from Philippians 4 and the message version, Paul goes on to say rhetorically at the end, isn't it wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life? You got to shift the sea. The things that cause you to feel scared into the sacred where Christ is. 
at the center of your life, in the middle of everything, even the stuff that scares you. And so when we take into heart the things that scare us, what's the next biggest obstacle that we tend to face? It's that vacuum between our ears, right? I don't mean vacuum as in um, seriously, but we've got to think about the right things. We've got to change the way that we think. If we're going to change the way that we pray, then we also have to change the way that we think. We have to think about the right things. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Again, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Another study, this one was by John, Johns Hopkins University, revealed that people who tracked with a more positive outlook based on an assessment tool were found to have a one-third reduction in the risk of a heart attack from those in the control group. He used a lot of words there to say that people who changed the way that they thought actually suffered a greater or lesser risk of a heart attack than those who didn't. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now, if you've paid attention, we've talked about the presence of God in the midst of all of this. How the Spirit is with us in the midst of our struggles. We are to put Christ at the center of our lives and to set our mind above where God is. Hopefully you can see that through all of this, the presence and the power of God is with us at our lowest points, in our everyday going points, and keeping us fixed and focused on that which is above. Christ is with us all. In our past, in our present, and in our future, in our lowest, in our here, and in heaven. God is constantly enveloping us, filling and fulfilling us, consuming us to propel us to move forward for him. That's the kind of stuff that we got to think about. We've got to shift the way that we think about the junk in the world, and there's a lot of junk in it. To realize, bless you, that God is with us, everyone. To think about those things. To look for the peace and the presence and the power of God even in our lowest moments. To change the way that we think. To change the way that we pray. To change the way that we embrace the world. And so our fifth, by no means final, but our fifth step that brings us full circle is we have a choice. Thanks our little almond-shaped amygdala, we have a choice as we encounter the world. Are we going to embrace it with fear or with faith? With fear or with faith? Joshua, who was charged with leading the Israelites after Moses' leadership time was done, and led them to the promised land, offered them these words 
And there's so much depth in them to hear and to feel and to acknowledge in our own living, even though we are thousands of years separated from that moment. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, we read these words. If you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. As though to say, we are going to serve someone or something. If we're not going to choose, choose God, then we're going to have to choose what it is that we will serve. Would you prefer to serve the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or would it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Our bumper video this morning challenged us to make a choice in how we are going to see our life contextually from the sin that we experience, the troubles that we face, and the hope that we have. We can choose to go back to our old, worn-out, burned-out way of living where we choose fear over faith, worry over hope, stewing without doing, constantly thinking about the worst as opposed to the best. You get to choose. God gives this choice to every single one of us. It's my hope that you'll choose God. And when you choose God, to recognize what that means is it undoes the way that we tend to live otherwise. We're called to think about the things that are good in the world, even when we see all the junk around us. To pray for those who are stuck in the doldrums of life without hope, who are constantly filled with worry and unable to thank God for being with them and all of us in the midst of the struggles that we face. Friends, I pray that's not how we approach life in the world today. I pray that we choose God. And in choosing God, we choose faith over fear. To thank God for being with us even in our lowest and our worst times. To not worry, but to pray. And allow those prayers to transform the way that we think and we look at the world. So this is how we can come to experience some radical gratitude here on the Sunday between Thanksgiving and next week when we kick off our Advent series, getting ready to receive the glory of Christmas in our midst. And I pray that we all may choose God, to pray to God, to not allow our lives to be consumed with worry, and to set our mind above on things where Christ is. And remember, the place where Christ is, yes, he's in heaven, and he's in our hearts, but he is also in all the messes that humans are making right now with a heart to lead us out and to bring heaven to earth. Let's be radically gracious for who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. How about it, my friends?
Pray with me, please. The band comes forward. Almighty God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this Sunday. In the Christian church, it is known as Christ the King Sunday to show how you were the king over all and in all. And I thank you for establishing your throne in our heart and helping us to change the way that we see the world. It's messed up and mixed up as it is right now. And so, Lord God, we acknowledge there's so many things that can frighten us that we see around us. War, violence, health concerns, financial concerns, but you are there in the midst of it. And so help us to give thanks to you for that, that you do not wait until we clean up our lives, but you come into our lives to help us clean it up together. And so for that reason, we don't need to worry about what tomorrow holds because we know that you are the one who holds tomorrow. So help us take those worries and shape them into prayers that that prayer language and that prayer life more accurately may help to change not just the way that we feel, but also the way that we think and we see the world. So that when we are confronted with all of these crises around us, that we choose hope over despair. That we choose life over death. That we choose you over hopelessness. And so, Lord God, as we bring this message to a close today and the service to a close and to get ready for the glory of your Advent and Christmas season, I pray, Holy Father, that you may work within all of our minds and our hearts and our lives this day to help us to choose you. For I give you thanks, Lord God, for the work that you're doing and how you're calling and beckoning us all forward to be your hands and feet in this world. May we choose to do that despite all the other junk around us because that's how we're going to help the world see that you are real and you love us and have a plan and a purpose for our lives. For it is in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area, there you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.